We're like uh, an orchestra, but only instead of, you know, instruments, we have power tools and people operating it. College, it's important. We need architects and engineers. That does take a college degree. However, the best architects are the ones who, during the summer, then went on a job site and learned how gravity works in real life. Welcome to episode 113 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, we welcome Kayleen McCabe. And this is an episode I was super excited about. I had many people refer her to come on the show. Kayleen is a general contractor, TV host, trade advocate, brand ambassador, and honestly good for morale. And the thing about Kayleen, she has spent time um, on TV. She understands the contracting world from a female perspective. She's a big advocate as far as the issue that we're dealing with with Keep Craft Alive and you know, working with trade schools, you know, vocational schools to help people get excited about construction, the opportunities that are out there, and honestly just has amazing perspective of how TV has really done a big disservice to us in construction and design and architecture by creating unrealistic expectations with the customer and how to work around that. And she just has such good advice, such good life experience, so much energy. There's so much inspiration that she brings to this episode that all of us can apply in our own business. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I am Brad Levitt, and we have a very special guest with us today, Kayleen McCabe. So welcome, Kayleen. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Geek out first. Oh, I'm super excited to have you. She's a public speaker, right? She's spoken at many events. She's a TV host, a television contractor. She is also co-founder of the McCabe Foundation and loves uh, pralines and cream ice cream, as we were talking about before. <laughs> but, but the reason, Kayleen, I, I had to bring you on, is, as you know, is because many of my respected peers that I have and colleagues have attended conferences where you've been the keynote speaker. And every single one's like, Brad, you have to get her on. So welcome. Hey, awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, and thanks all my friends for saying nice things. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask, let, let's start with this. You know, right now, you know, it's an interesting time I think in the industry, right? Everyone is overworked. Supply chain is really challenging. You know, there's kind of been a movement for a couple of years just speaking about the vocational schools and, you know, how that compares to going to college. And so, based on your experience, Kaylin, why have you seen that not been a big enough push, you know, whether it be parents, whether it be us in the industry about the value of being in construction? There are a lot of gatekeepers that I think influence this and the perception of it. Um, you know, Parents, you did touch on. I think it also goes back to schools. Um, uh, across the country, I've seen a lot of schools tie funding. If students are involved in AP programs, they get more funding involved in that. Um, and so there is a big push for those type of programs, not necessarily trade programs. Some states are changing that, which is an awesome bonus because, oh my goodness, um, you know, if you're working in a construction class, you're kind of doing AP math, but then also translating it with a saw. So I think <laughs> there's a lot of room there. Um, but then yeah, also- and if I interrupt you, it's interesting, Kayleen, because you know you say that lightly, but the reality is anyone that's cut crown molding, right? If you've done crown molding, which is extremely complex, especially if it's stack crown, people don't realize the complexity of the math involved to, to do that correctly. Oh, absolutely. And you know, okay, crown molding, yes, for sure. But if you're a pipe fitter, you're doing more yeah. mathematical calculations in a day than an accountant is, you know? And so this whole notion of like, ah, you're dumb or uneducated if you're going into the trades is absolutely false. And so, you know, it's education of the gatekeepers. Um, also counselors, you know, 
We have a lot of counselors in schools who are wonderful people, but who went to school for counseling. They aren't necessarily out in the workforce, seeing all of the amazing career opportunities out there with huge growth potential, like little to no debt. And so, you know, it's multifaceted. When I started um, really focusing on workforce development and sharing, I just love construction. It's the best time ever. Like, I'm legit sitting here making a metal puzzle. <laughs> like, I can't stop <laughs> tinkering with my hand. You know, it, I knew that it was going to be a long time because there were so many different gatekeepers, you know, and really in the industry, we need to step up and do a better job collaborating and promoting what we do. Um, you know, college is a business. They do a great job promoting that and not knocking college, but you don't how always But have no, to let's, let's knock it a little bit because let's, I mean, honestly, and this isn't anti-college, this whole podcast in the segment, but there are some... You know, there are some issues, you know, whether it be truths about college that it's not for everybody, right? You're, you're going into school with, you know, a lot of our parents and the generation before, you know, is push, you got to go to school to get a job, right? It's kind of, that's the entry point is you have to go to school. And so as tuitions increase, cost of livings increase, you know, you're racking up a ton of debt, which I know has been a, a major um, item that comes up in political debates, right? And our politicians, because the reality is there's so much debt accrued. and you know, this forced to go to college. Well, college isn't for everyone. Not everyone, it's not even book smart, but not everyone tests the same. Everyone doesn't have the same, you know, aptitude in the classroom. And it's not that they're better than anybody or more intelligent than anybody. It's just, it's a different method, you know, of apply information and how that's digested and how that's interpreted. It's absolutely true. And now we have the statistics to back it up. You talk about the debt. First of all, I don't want to pay for anybody else's debt because I made right. the choice. I could have gone to college. I was accepted. I started taking the SATs when I was in sixth grade. I was a nerd, like hardcore nerd. I still am. Now I just own it. <laughs> um, and I could have gone. I went to college for a semester. That's it. I don't even think I made any credits. I ditched so much. It wasn't for me. But, you know, um, the debt now, if, if your student is just going to school and they're just getting a bachelor's and whatever, on average, those Debts are not being paid off until someone's in their 40s. That's criminal. Yeah. That's like telling yep. an 18 year old, like, hey, go sign on this house you're never going to go step inside of. I mean, what? Um, and now we also know NCCER has done a great job with um, some studies. And for every 10 jobs, seven of them do not require college. They do require further education, which we need to do a better job explaining that if you're an apprentice, that is like a bachelor's in construction. Ta da! Like, we need to start making those parallel lines so people understand it. There's so much education that continues to happen after you graduate high school. It might be in a university. It might be in college. It might be on a job site. There's so many different ways. And thinking that there's only one way to continue to be smart after high school is just ridiculous. And so oh, you're right. Like the, For me, the debt is so disturbing. That is, it just, it, it's angering too, because then students are set up with this notion that they're going to invest this time and some money, but at the end, they're going to be guaranteed a great job. That's a lie. They're, the job industry is hurting for workers in our industry, in the trades. And meanwhile, they, everyone's like, oh, that's dirty or gross. Like, no, not every job requires swinging a hammer and wearing a tool belt. We need project managers. We need truck drivers. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so we need to do a better job kind of just clicking those different switches and checking the boxes. but. Yeah, I, you know, college is great. They'll take your money at any time. 
I wanted to be Indiana Jones for real. And eh, maybe someday I'll go back and like get an archaeology degree or something. I don't know. But yeah, well, any time. Just know for what. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, going back, and there was a podcast I listened to a while back, and he had, you know, the, the speaker had spoken about just college debt, and he said, you know, one of the issues that's come up is imagine in years past, you know, people used to work over the summer to save money for school, right? That was what you did. You worked all summer, save enough money, you paid tuition. What ended up happening is, you know, the government says, well, we're going to subsidize this, right? We're going to subsidize loan. So imagine now if I had to go to college and there was no government help, so I had to go get a private loan from Chase Bank, right? Or Bank of America. They're going to say, well, what's your major, right? What, you know, how long are you going to school? What's your, what's your degree going to be? It's going to be a lot more vetted that, that money they're going to be giving me so that I'm be more direct and assertive in my career path. And, and, and what I'm getting at is there is some benefit to college depending on what you're going to do, but it's not for everybody. And when you subsidize it for everybody, and now you have this blanket canvas, as you mentioned, not every career path has to have a college degree. So now it puts this burden on, on a lot of people, including the individual that may not understand the amount of debt that they're accruing. Whereas you look at vocational school, as you mentioned, and this is where it's a really important topic. And I love this topic because the vocational school, right? Anyone that doesn't think construction is complicated, go to downtown Los Angeles or Boston and work on a high rise. Go work in a hotel, a five-star hotel in Hawaii that they're building. And tell me it's not a complex industry building on the ocean with different climates, you know, and trying to make sure that this, this project, you know, that's sequencing vertically, how complicated that is. It's such a beautiful language too. We're like, uh, an orchestra, but only instead of, you know, instruments, we have power tools and people operating it. And, you know, one quick thing is, oh, yeah, college, it's important. We need architects and engineers. And that does take a college degree. However, the best architects are the ones who during the summer then went on a job site and learned how gravity works in real life. Right. <laughs> or have worked for a contractor to realize, you know, what how important good drawings are. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You know, and so... Having that on site, it just is not always in the classroom. There's a lot of education that happens outside of it. And again, you know, fixing the notion, you have to just keep learning and evolving. And what I love about the trades is that if you go to a vocational school, more often than not, Brad, there's so much money and scholarships just sitting around like nobody's accepting them. A lot of these schools are free or no cost. Um, it's a tremendous opportunity to do this. But at the end, Let's say you go to become an electrician and you do it for a few years. You become a foreman or get your license and you hate it. Well, the best part is you probably worked on job sites. You've worked with other trades. You can go be a welder. You can go do all these other things, you know, because a lot of the skills translate to other areas. So there's constant job opportunities and job growth where we don't necessarily see that in other sectors as much. I love that you share that. And, and the reality is there is a lot of opportunity. And I think, you know, there's this, um, you know, whether it's this mantra or whether it's opinion, right? Oh, you're going in construction, you know, like that's a lesser. And, and, and you spoke about this earlier in the conversation is that, you know, as you think about this, some of the most successful people I know, you know, are people that have worked through the trades. They've started their own trim carpentry business. They've started their own cabinetry business. Maybe their own welding company, steel company. Very successful. There's a lot of opportunity. And and as you mentioned, the gatekeepers going back to school where funding is based on AP classes, not so much on the trade schools. So a lot of the schools have taken that out, you know, whether it be a shop class and, you know, cabinet class or whatever it may be that used to be there, you know, years ago. And so, you know, as people understand that, hey, going into the trades, it's not just something to be frowned upon. I mean, there's actually a lot of opportunity, you know, as, as Elon Musk has said over and over, we need 
you, you know, less people pumping steroids into dollars. We need more people building stuff. We need more engineers. We need more architects. We need more contractors, right? Because that's the future, right? You have to build things. I mean, that's the only way we're going to survive. It is the only way. And what, you know, what blows my mind is, so they took out all the shop classes and a lot of that space in the schools was taken up with like computer labs. And so now that schools are wanting and like needing to put these trade programs back into schools, there's not the space on campus to do it. And so what I'm seeing is a lot of um, like trade programs where the student is in their homeschool half the day and then the other half the day they go to, you know, this trade school. And we need to really um, embrace and rethink what high school education looks like. You know, I grew up where I was at my homeschool the whole time. And I didn't want to leave to go to Warren Tech because that's what the nerds did. And I'm like, why? I was a nerd. I was a nerd. <laughs> like, but, you know, that notion and that stigma around it. I spoke a few weeks ago at a conference in Arizona. And I tell my story. And I'm just so excited about this industry. Um, and how I see the opportunities for young folks, especially in high school, if they can take some of these classes and realize like, oh, I like welding or, oh, plumbing is not for me, whatever. You can do whatever <laughs> um, I got done speaking and this gentleman came up to me, very big, burly guy and owned a company. He's like, I just want to let you know that for the first time, I felt proud of my son for becoming an apprentice. I went to Stanford. My wife went to Harvard. My daughter's a doctor, some blah, blah, blah. And my son is an, an, an apprentice electrician. And first of all, I felt so bad for his son. I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Buddy. Yeah. But, you know, that mindset, He, his son's going to be insanely successful. Are you kidding me? In this market? Like, ah, forget about it. That kid's going to build your house and take care of your retirement when everybody else is still paying off like a lot of fancy college debt. And so not to have pride in your son, it was just shocking. Like wow, you know, we could do such a better job. And part of it, part of it is, you know, you mentioned I worked on television shows and I'm so sorry to all the contractors. I'm so sorry for what the television industry is doing for us or to us, you know, we're not. Yeah. Talk about that because, and and I'm glad you're taking in this pivot because the thing is, Kayleen, I mean, here's something I deal with and maybe you could speak to this because the benefit of having you on is you've worked in TV. So you've seen the production side, you know, construction and, and what I deal with, Brad, really, it's that expensive? Well, on HGTV, you know, they did this revision. It's like $2,000. They could do this entire patio, and it only takes them like two weeks. It, okay, yeah, it's awful. So I started on trading spaces. <laughs> so I've been in it for a long time um, and, you know, really seen the evolution. And when I had the opportunity to host my own show, the one caveat was we had to pull permits because I am authentically a contractor. I'm just not some actor who, like, I don't know. Like I own power tools and I build stuff for real. And so I was like, so does this happen a lot where, where they're doing these productions and they're not pulling permits? Oh my word. The drama. I can tell you, listen, kids, this is where put me on a Patreon episode. We'll make people pay and I'll dish all the tea. Um, yeah, absolutely. Some of these shows, they come in, you know, like doing a bathroom over a weekend for real, not done well, not pulling permits, um, or finishing a basement space. Now, for me, I was upset because now as a homeowner, we just walked in and did work on one of the most invest, like expensive investments somebody will ever have. And now that homeowner can't claim that space when they go to sell because it wasn't permitted. Like, what are we doing? You know, and I don't know. So for me, we always pulled permits. We actually did it by the book. You know, when we had inspections, we shut down production for the day, which frustrated me because now, again, we aren't showing the public the reality of construction. 
there is a, there is a flow. There is a language. There's really, I mean, you know, I've argued with people on they want to be put their cabinets down and then their flooring. I'm like, you don't understand. You're going to be three quarters of an inch off and it's going to feel weird. Like, because we don't show this information on the shows. And the reason is, well, it's kind of twofold. There's a lot of actors who are hosts. Bravo. Hi, friends. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're very good at walking and talking with the song, explaining stuff. Um, kind of, you know. But then also, the bigger problem is there are very, very talented people who make TV shows. The editors who make stuff is just such a gift. The, my, I don't know how to edit. I respect it so much. The fact that you take footage and then you overlay it with graphics and music and like, I want to poke my eyeballs out. Like, it just is not my jam. So talented. But they didn't go to school for construction. And so the example I give is one time I had an editor. I'm in a basement finishing a huge project or starting a huge project. Sorry. It was a 3,200 square foot unfinished basement. I'm literally just surrounded by studs everywhere. That like, And I had an editor, you know, days later, he's like, oh, Kayleen, will you please stop talking about framing? It's so boring. I'm like, what? Bro, I could talk the next hour about framing and all the nuances. And we're in Colorado where we float our walls. Like, it's just cool stuff. Like, like in California, the foundations are attached. It's just, it goes on and on. I think it's fascinating. That was the first click that while I was on set every day, I'm really doing the work. I'm really working with the crew. The way it's being edited, I have no control over. And so the final product, you know, and I would argue with the network and I'm like, I want to educate. I want to be Mr. Rogers with power tools. Like I still want to do that. Mm-hmm. I think I'd be amazing. But the network is like, you're, you're an entertainer. This is entertainment. I'm like, no, we're educating the public. This is actually becoming a problem. When, so my show is called Rescue Renovation. And I would go in and I would rescue renovations. Basically, the premise was, let me fix all the stuff that homeowners do from watching these TV shows. Then they think like, oh, over the weekend, I'll remodel my kitchen. And then fast forward 12 years and it's still not done. Like that was my MO. And the longer the show went on, the worse, the, the worse the projects got. What people were doing inside their own home terrifies me. And now after the Corona lockdowns and people were stuck in the house, oh my goodness, <laughs> what have people done? I mean, I guarantee it's going to be horrid work. And like, I believe that I want to lobby Home Depot and Lowe's to sell their sledgehammers with a contract. Be like, do you know what you're doing when you're finished with this? <laughs> <laughs> like, if you don't, you don't get to buy it. Like, and so there were so many things with the show that I was starting to realize one television has really influenced the public's opinion negatively on the construction industry. Um, I love Mike Holmes. He's a nice guy, but you know, there was a while where it's like every contractor is going to rip you off and you have to have somebody come in and mm-hmm. rescue and save it. You know, my show is all about rescuing too. And so there was that notion that if you're in the industry, you are undereducated, you couldn't go to college. Um, you're dumb. You're probably, you know, some sort of addict, uh, all these, all these lists of things. But then I watched one of my episodes in the raw footage and we had done this project that was bonkers. It was bonkers. We had to put in helical piers into the basement all the way up to create a continuous load path so that I could do this master suite in this house. The house should have been torn down. Like it was a nightmare project. We put like $300,000 into that project. It took two months. We had, I mean, engineers, it was off the charts. I watched the rough footage and they're like, total remodel cost, $35,000. 
<laughs> you know, where'd you get that from? It's like, oh, you know, our interns come up with the numbers. And so, so now, you know, we're not showing the public how much education it takes to work in the industry. We're giving them false timelines and premises. You know, Pinterest is great, but while it's an inspiration thing for me, it's like my most hated website because, you know, what people see on Pinterest, they want to create, which is awesome. That's great inspiration, but not understanding all of the art and skill and talent it takes to make that happen is sad. So I don't know. I I love the television industry. Yeah, I'm blessed, but sad at the same time. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, one thing I look at too, I mean, without going too far down this direction, be thinking about building science, right? How to properly build a home, right? How it's properly flash and waterproofed and, you know, the structural components and how are we insulating it, right? And, you know, mechanical design, like these are all important things to no one sees. And so what, one of my challenges too, what, what I deal with with my clients is on the business development side, everyone loves a pretty range, right? They want that beautiful cabinetry, you know, Pinterest and Howl's and these apps and nothing against these apps are great apps and they give us amazing inspiration. But, you know, the customer a lot of times is looking at this beautiful lipstick, right? That's out there with not understanding the bones behind it. And it, and, and, and in my opinion, that also does a little bit of a disservice because we don't have any shows really speaking about the importance of how to build a home that's going to be sustainable. And especially now in this climate and this economy where we're trying to look at products that are more sustainable, how do we build homes that are more energy efficient? And yes, some clients are really ahead of that. You know, it's really important to them, but it's very few because most people have a budget. And the reality is to do a properly built home, it's expensive and they want to have the budget allowances for the fine finishes that look great on photos and on Pinterest. Yes, yes, you're right. You know, not talking about the bones of that investment. It's just so sad too, because honestly, I think that's where a lot of the art is at as well. I mean, if you look at some like an electrician who really loves their job or even a plumber and look at how perfect all their pipes and lines are. Like, oh, it's gorgeous. I'm sure they hate drywallers. Like, you're covering up my good work. But <laughs> the, uh, I, I completely agree. And again, part of the problem is you have production companies and it's starting to change. It is getting better. You know, there's been some sales, uh, some new networks coming out. Um, and hopefully they'll they'll try to be a little bit more honest and not so flashy with the finishes, you know, like, Oh, I'd rather have like a properly framed house and okay cabinets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. That's something you and I are going to have to fight that battle for a long time, but it's interesting, you know, going back to the entertainment side, I mean, it's just like the news, right? If it bleeds, it leads. And so you think about, you know, that entertainment value, right? They want that negativity or the negativity of the contractor that's inept or incompetent or ripped them off. And that, you know, you're in the safe today and, and we understand that aspect, but but yes, where they lead us astray is in the the dollar value, the time, you know, constraint. You know, but even from your side, something that they're not going to speak about. I mean, how much planning goes into each project? When you're working behind the scenes, is there a lot of planning beforehand that leads up that of course is not accounted for when the show's uh being shot? Totally. I was just gonna mention that. It is yeah, a ton. It's uh right. So when I would let's say I have an episode, we cast the family. Um, we do an initial walkthrough and check out what the project is. Then we would come back and meet with the full team, talk about the project, the scope, the feasibility of the project. Um, you know, not only with our timeline, but then weather, um, or look, you know, we didn't want to do all basements, but I, I requested, I want to be put everywhere because I'm young, still in the industry. I want to see all of it. And so, you know, put me in an attic, put me in a crawl space, please no more crawl spaces. Anyway. Um, <laughs> 
And then we'd go through the design process and start to source products. And so for an episode, there's probably three months of lead time before we ever start filming anything. Um, and then, you know, one of the camera tricks is my show had the premise that it was uh, done in 72 hours or some arbitrary number that somebody like threw a dart at a board and they're like, nah, let's do that. Um, so we would make it look like two or three days by making everybody wear the same clothes for two or three weeks. And so then they could edit the footage into day one. And day one was pretty amazing because uh, we would go through like framing and MEPs and drywall. <laughs> like, okay. And then the next day would be cabinets and countertop installation. I mean, we, homeowners are always blown away. Like you have to fabricate countertops. It's not like they just are hanging around. You know, we can't prefabricate, or at least I did. And I did really nice custom stuff. Like I'm not going to prefabricate my countertops to save time in the show. I'm just going to make you wear the same gross smelly shirt on that shoot day. <laughs> <Ta -da. laughs> and so we really, we really wouldn't start shooting even until like we had a lot of products on the site. And so that was something you never saw, nor, you know, I had uh, producers, associate producers. I had a design designer. Um, uh, there was three of us on the construction crew, you know, me and two guys, but then we also did have like a plumber that would come in for specialty things. Um, we had an electrician named Jim who literally had the biggest handlebar mustache I've ever seen. <laughs> it was like so scary, but funny at the same time, the characters you meet. Um, and so we never really discussed that. Like the amount of people it took to, to keep the ball rolling was insane. And then at the same time, I'm not only doing one show, I'm doing, you know, between four and six at the same time, because then if, I have inspections happening at house A, I can go shoot, you know, day one at house B. And then, I mean, it was, I had somebody who had to keep track of wardrobe, like all these weird arbitrary things like, you know, oh, you were wearing the pink shirt and gray shorts on day one at house A. And like, I get it why Steve Jobs were the same thing every day. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. You need assistant to your assistant just to make sure your clothing's right. So that way, as each pilot, each episode comes out, you, you know, it, it looks consistent. For real. And they had a hair and makeup artist who would like pet my face. And then I would just go eat drywall dust for hours. And so they finally got to the point that my hair and makeup artist most of the time was just an air compressor. And they'd just like dust me off and then put me on camera. Like, ah, good. Um, but there's, there's so much that happens behind the scenes and it's a disservice to the public on not showing and celebrating that because it's a, it's a beautiful dance. You know, we would do like a master bathroom. You got a lot of people in a bathroom, you know, and it's just cool out seeing how everybody works together. But, you know, at the same time, uh, production is very expensive, incredibly expensive, um, you know, to have all those people on set, plus a camera crew and audio and their equipment. I mean, you could look at a, a shoot day is $50,000. And so, you know, we not only would do normal construction, but then we kind of would do a cooking show type stuff where all the cabinets in the kitchen have been installed. The lowers are installed, so I did my fabrication. But over in this corner, I haven't done this upper. And so now you're going to see some cabinet installation so we can get that kind of chunk of progress. But, oh gosh, the logistics behind it. Uh, construction and production should not go together. <laughs> Let's just say that. Like, they should not be friends at all, to be honest. 
Now we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. In your projects, how often were vendors working with you and maybe donating, you know, to be advertising? And did that take, uh, was that taken into account when they're putting the value of the project and, you know, how much no. it costs to finish? No, and that was, so... No, and now it's actually changed. So when I was shooting my show, we would get um, everything donated to to as much as we could. The tchotchkes and like little decorations. No, a lot of production assistants are probably still banned from Target for returning too many things in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Sean. Anyway, um, so like Kohler on one episode donated $100,000 worth of product. And it was beautiful stuff. Super cool. State of the art. Blah, blah, blah. Um, now, the problem came in, how do you value it? You know, are you getting it at a discount? Are you getting it at like what you'd pay at the store? Some of the stuff wasn't even released yet. <clears throat> and so how do you value these projects? Now, the other problem is, is the networks are to realize they were losing a ton of money because basically for $100,000, they got a 30-minute commercial of me geeking out over Kohler where advertising is very costly. And so if you want, say, a commercial on a network, it costs you a few million dollars to buy an ad buy. So how they've done it now is only a portion of your product can be discounted. And so that will help with better pricing. And so that's why on the newer shows, you're seeing a little bit more coherent pricing. Um, but then too, like, how do you how do you value my time? The network pays me. I'm not billing as a contractor. So I don't know. And really, it, it all came down to taxes because the homeowners are still responsible for the taxes on the products that we put in. So again, I'm always surprised that construction TV shows are still a thing because as a homeowner, you're asking me to come in with all my friends. There's like 20 of us. We're going to take over your house. We're going to tell you what to wear. We're going to... Uh, you know, tell you how your house is going to look and then make you pay for it. Right. <laughs> and then make you pay the tax bill, right? As you've increased the value of your home, as you mentioned. Exactly. Yes. And so the, all the moving parts behind it, it's fascinating and interesting. And I'm grateful because it's given me the platform that I'm leveraging the snot out of to talk to everyone about how great construction is. But I'm really happy that I work with my nonprofit now instead. <laughs> That's 
So, so I want to get into that. And, and what's interesting before getting into that, I mean, you mentioned the planning side. And, and one thing, you know, as I speak to contractors and, and someone reach out and say, hey, Brad, you, you know, and this is what's nice about these long form conversations, right? That, you know, these are more educational, right? For hopefully our clients and, you know, other contractors, other designers, architects to listen to this. Because, you know, a lot of them will say, hey, Brad, we'll build in a custom home. I mean, should my clients have all the selections made when I'm framing, you know, at drywall, you know, when, before I break ground? And for me, I, I won't break ground until everything's decided. It doesn't mean the client can't change. And it kind of goes back to your thing. Even when working in a TV show in such a condensed schedule and so much dollars on the line, right, for production cost, you're going to have to make sure you plan that appropriately so that you can, you know, make the most of your time. And it's no different than us that we put ourselves in a bad position with the client when the client's been working through permit for eight months, they're super excited to get you know, a shovel on the ground and start working. But if we start without all the selections and all the information, it's just the project lags and takes a long time and it costs the client money, it costs us money, there's carrying costs. I mean, there's so many issues. Whereas if we have everything decided, maybe we say, hey, although we have the permit here in month eight, let's wait till month nine till everything's done. Now we can go and we're actually going to build this quicker. Gosh, yes. Um, it's the phrase mise en place, you know, coming out of French culinary. Make sure you have all your ingredients in place before you start cooking. And I employ that in construction because to having really focused a lot of my construction skills in the television industry, I'm used to working at a crazy bonkers pace. You know, while everything was permitted, we also had, you know, inspectors who were willing to work with us on their schedule, you know, and so we would still cook through a kitchen remodel in two weeks. That's a lot, you know, and this is like full guts to glory type thing. <clears throat> but if you don't have that planned out, especially now with the supply chain issues that we're seeing and will continue to see not having that product available, you're going to go through now and do a whole kitchen remodel and then wait, you know, six months on a stove. That's not going to make your client very happy, you know, and which is better having a kitchen that still functions, but it's big, ugly or waiting a few more weeks before you can get all your mise en place in place type thing uh, and then go for it. And so it is. And I think that planning and communication is critical. We, did we didn't discuss it on TV. It's boring. It's like watching me do math in my head. They have to edit that out. Who <laughs> wants to watch like, you know, like <laughs> nobody wants to watch that. And so <clears throat> the communication and also helps with the overall reputation because now Clients understand the cost. It's a little bit more upfront with that, but then also the timeline, you know, and I think that's the biggest frustrator is when homeowners are having people do work in their house and the timeline keeps getting extended and extended. And it, like people want to go back to their life and not have you in their house. The reality is or in their space. So, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's interesting with that client experience. I mean, all of us, I'm sure have hard, um, I don't want to say horror stories, but our challenges we've had all of us with clients and stuff. I mean, so with the show, did you ever have, any challenging clients? I mean, how's, how's that interaction with, with the end client? Um, whiskey does wonders, by the way. <laughs> I had to give some of my homeowners whiskey to be like, lighten up, you're on TV. <clears throat> you know, if you ever see a homeowner with a sledgehammer or they're like using their foot to kick out drywall during demo, I'm just doing those things to wear them out so they get out of my way, you know? <laughs> let, them, let them get tired and then shoo. For the most part, um, it was fairly good. You know, people were excited because I, I really was coming in to some pickles. There was one family I worked on where the wife got pregnant and she went away like early in her pregnancy. And it's a surprise. The husband was going to give her a brand new kitchen while she was at this girl's weekend, whatever. Fast forward 12 years and two kids later, 
These daughters had never seen a floor other than OSB in the kitchen. And so I was half marriage counselor, half contractor. And I just think overall people were really happy. I was coming in and like getting it done and finishing it to the point, you know, it's just not, I wasn't just like installing cabinets. I painted and decorated. Everything was like, all the holes are puttied. Like it's done, done. And I think a lot of people were just grateful to have it done, done. Which is huge. So, so how did that play a role? I mean, when you look at your career and even what you're doing now, how that catapulted you, I mean, how did TV play an impact though, just on, you know, your passion behind construction and what you're doing now? Oh, it completely fueled it. Being on a TV show for a few reasons. One, I love building furniture. I'm a tinkerer at heart. And so for every episode, we did over a hundred, I would, I would make a gift for the homeowners, kind of like a, I'm so sorry we were here. Like, here's a cutting board or a walnut bed or a cabinet, you know. And so I love being able to create and explore and play. There's a hardware store here in Colorado called McGuckins. And I used to just go to the hardware store to go look at faceters and then be inspired to build something. Like, what a gift, you know. And then I had a budget, a TV budget. And so, gosh, I mean, I would buy product just to play. Be like, oh, why not? And you know, also it was a it was a huge gift. And thank you to all my friends, Milwaukee Festool. Um, you know, I got a lot of tools. Being on a TV show, there's some products that I've seen, and I'm like, oh, I want that. That's amazing. And like, poof, I had it. Now I get to play with it. And so that to me was amazing. Getting to use some of these tools that at the time they came out, they were new. You know, like the tracks on that Festool has was not around. And so I was very lucky to be in my 20s. Playing with Festool, like I'm some old retired guy, like, ah, it's great, like, I want this extra time. Um, And then being able to look at new products and designs, you know, I never wanted to get pigeonholed, like some other host was like, it's all shiplap and subway tile, like, cool, you have a theme and a design, but I wanted to try new stuff. Like, we're in my kitchen now, you know, I have stone on the backsplash, but above me I have brick, which is awesome, like, I've always wanted to do that, and so I did. Like getting to play constantly, and that's that to me is what construction is anyway. We're artists. I don't I don't use a paintbrush or a canvas. I use saws and two by fours that I make pretty stuff that people live in. And so getting to constantly play, uh, that yeah, television really gave me that that gift where I wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise. So what is the foundation work that you're doing now, the McCabe uh, Foundation? So um, in 2009, my dad and I started a nonprofit to support veterans and students who want to pursue a career in the trades. And so, you know, we we do scholarships or small things. Um, you know, sometimes it's something as simple as you need good boots. You need good footwear to work in this industry, especially here in Colorado. Like it's going to snow tomorrow. Gross. And you it's know, not cheap. No, you know, my boots are 350 a piece. My tool bags, I have Occidental bags. Those are 400. I mean, why would you buy a coach purse? Why would you just buy Occidental bags? You're totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting getting people set up with the right tools and then also support, you know, whether it's through organizations that they should join, um, you know, people in the industry they should meet. And so, um, not only the scholarships, but then I do a lot of public speaking. And so through uh, all sorts of organizations. I'm labor neutral, which is great. If you're breathing, come join us is my motto. So I speak woke with AGC and ABC. You know, there's a nice 
Like everybody has a problem with workforce development now. But then what I really love is I talk to students. Um, you know, before everything shut down, like I did 310-ish trips in 2019. Um, wow. And so I was talking to a lot of kids in person. Teenagers are scary. Sometimes I wear fake tattoos just to make myself feel tough. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was awesome, just sharing the story and reminding him, look, there's multiple pathways to success. Just to have to choose which path. And so now I still speak to students a lot on Zoom, but I also am now teaching elementary school students how to build. And I love it. I love it so much. Second through fourth graders and teaching them like how to use a hammer. You know, there are four parts to a hammer. We never talk about them, how to hold it and why. Um, and then, you know, my big thing, basically what I do, it's like putting zucchinis and brownies. I build a little toolbox with these kids and the whole time I'm like, we're doing math. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and then making them, you know, putting together that if you sing, that's math. Those are notes on a page. It's an eighth note, it's a half note. Same with cooking. You know, you're doing a math equation as you add flour and sugar together. If you do it right, it's going to come out delicious. And same with construction. It's a beautiful language that we get to speak all the time. And had I known in second grade that fractions would be my favorite language, I don't know what I would have done. Like, it makes me so happy. Yeah, I love that. And, and what's interesting, I mean, I love the comment you made about labor neutral. And, and, and really, as I think about that, you know, this past summer, so back in May, I had Stephanie on, Stephanie Sharp, and she, um, I, don't, I don't have my shirt on today, but she did the house that she built, right? So this is a home in the Prairie to Homes in Utah. And I was able to go up there and tour the home. And it's an incredible endeavor, right? She, it was a home built by all female labor or female owned companies. And, you know, so women all over the country flew in and they helped her build this house. And, you know, so what's amazing is I've seen this, uh, this move in the industry and especially through social media, right? And, you know, women in the trades. And so, you know, especially for you being a woman in the trade, I mean, how have you made an impact just on so many young women that look up to you and, you know, say, hey, I can be successful in this career field? You really that's part of the the what I want to do. I want them to say, Oh, she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Do it. Then come on. Like I want to work with you. I cannot wait. And so I hope that my message has inspired seriously. I mean, are you breathing? I cannot think of <laughs> everybody can work in this industry. Everywhere. I mean, we have so many different positions, even from HR to accounting to, you know, lawyers and doctors. Like we need them with us. And so you know, I'm lucky that I get to be a female, but I think for me, it's just I'm a huge construction nerd who authentically loves passing on my passion. I mean, I'm absurd. I carry around toolbox purses to fancy events. Like I have a snap-on wrench purse, and it was a 1923 ferret set. Beautiful case. On the inside, it's black velvet and diamonds. On the outside, it looks like a rusty old box. And I put in like a ball gown with the rusty old box and like, oh, <laughs> it's the best. So Actually, maybe that is kind of a bonus being a female in the industry because like I have like snap on wrenches that I wear or even levels. Like I have functional fashion. <laughs> I love that functional fa fashion. I'm going to have to remember that. That's amazing. And so, you know, what, what's your career path? I mean, how did you get in construction? Did you do all stereotypes? I mean, you know, how do you address that aspect of, of the industry, unfortunately? Um, so when I share my story, I do it because it was so unconventional. I cannot... I cannot encourage a student to follow my pathway because I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I made it up and then I'm here and I'm like, Oh no, I'm chatting to Brad. All right, cool. Uh, so when I was in high school, again, good student, 
didn't really know. But growing up, I had always worked with my parents around the house. You know, on our property, I really didn't know that the proper way to find the depth of a post hole was not to put a small child into it and have her hold her hands up. Like, ah, (laughs) every hole around the property. And then I got a tape measure, you know, my teens. But I was always encouraged. Like, I had to build my first car and make that run. Um, You know, working on the sets and the musicals. But I never knew or even thought about construction as a career for me. Like my dad was a welder. He worked on the Hubble telescope, you know, very like amazingly talented machinist welder. And I never thought or it didn't click with me. And so after high school and after my one semester in college, I became a 911 dispatcher, um, which was crazy bonkers. Um, loved it. I loved helping people. I loved that I was able to assist people in the most like really traumatic moments. People don't call 911 to tell you it's nice outside. Um, <laughs> right. But after a few years of that, it was becoming a bit draining and grating. And so my cousin was a producer on Trading Spaces. They were shooting some TV shows in Colorado. And she's like, look, uh, take your vacation days. We're going to pay you like $100 a day. Now, meanwhile, I was making six figures as a dispatcher. But I was like, all right. She's like, we'll, we'll pay 100 bucks. You know, you'll get like coffee orders or whatever. And so... um. I did. And my first day there, you know, this was early 2000s. And so we really didn't know that there was like magic behind a television show. What? Um, And when I got to set, there were like 80 people there. It was huge. They had their own, you know, craft services, which is our like catering. Um, There was a whole tent for all the tapestries. So like um, cushions and curtains and whatever, sewing world. And then there was carpentry world. And because I had some background working around the house, like I, I could understand a tape measure and I like, you know, could know how to work a nail gun. Um, I was put with Frank Castro in Carpentry World and I fell in love with it. Not sort of kind of. I mean, I it was like head over heels had I known, you know, and here I found myself. There were like five episodes I did here. I ended up traveling with the crew for a long time, too. And instead of hitting my snooze alarm in the morning when I was dispatching, I was like out of bed at 5 a.m. I was so excited to go to work and hang out with my friends and make stuff. And at the end of the day, I was so sad to leave because we weren't done creating, you know, and it was just I was satiated in every way. That show was fast. It really was a true 48 hours that we worked at a home. And so you would see this huge visual change. You'd work your brains out. I mean, I inhaled sheets of MDF. I don't even want to know what I've inhaled. (laughs) Ah, so gross. But it was love. It really was. And I ended up working in television behind the scenes and construction for years. I moved to Philadelphia to go do that. Um, And as I progressed in the industry, I found myself getting promoted. But those jobs were in the office. And I hated it. I am not meant to be behind a computer. I don't function that way. Like, it... I don't, I just don't like, if I don't like get my nails gross and make sawdust every day, I'm sad. I'm like, what's the point? Oh, what am I doing? <laughs> um, and so it was, it was just a bonkers experience to have gone through TV for so long, but it really was. I loved construction. I loved creating. And so I moved back to Colorado, started my own construction company. Um, and then I still had friends in the TV industry and there was this competition show called stud finder. And I was like, yo, if this is a dating show, I'm out. Like, I don't want to play. Um, <laughs> it was actually a show to find the next television host. And so I competed with four other guys. I ended up winning that. 
when I won that competition, the prize was, and this is really why I, why I like applied. There was a $2,500 gift certificate to Home Depot. And I really wanted to buy this <laughs> off. And so after I did it, but then in addition to the gift certificate, you had, you got to do five episodes of television, whatever. And I was so excited because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my chance to actually do this and show it off. You know, instead of on some shows at that time and be like, hi, I'm a lady. I'm going to install these cabinets. And then it's an up close of like man hands. Um, and I'm like, no, I'm really going to get to do it and show this off. And so five turned into five seasons. And it was um, a, a bonkers journey. I mean, there's no television is insane. I don't encourage anybody to seek out to be on TV. Um, I fell into it backwards twice. Um, I don't know if I would have ever sought it out if I hadn't fallen into it because it's insane. You're working 18, 20 hour days, seven days a week for months on end. You know, the first three years we shot, the days off were like Thanksgiving day, you know, Christmas day, and then New Year's and New Year's Eve because we're still adults. Yeah. But it was, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. And I don't know. I, I miss it some days. You know, we got to work the first thing on everybody's minds, like, what's for lunch? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we were- well, it's interesting you share that because, I mean, you know, behind the scenes, and this is so common with social media, so common just in reality of life that, you know, people may look at you, Kayleen, and say, look, you know, she had this rise to success. And, but what they don't see, the journey, right? They don't see, you know, the time put in, the time vested, right? Especially when you think about the TV show where you're speaking, hey, you know, yeah, it was a great experience. I, you know, I, I value it. You know, there's a lot of learning I gained from it, but, but the hard work, I mean, four days off a year, which most people wouldn't be able to commit to that. And they don't see that, you know, they just see the success you have now. No. And I, I wish that more people would or understand, you know, you don't get anywhere in life, in my opinion, without working really hard. Um, and I think the harder your work, you are rewarded. You know, now I'm at the point where, um, I get to choose the projects that I work on. I don't work 18 hour days anymore, but I spent 15 years doing that. You know, it was not just overnight I woke up and I'm like, nah, now I'm going to have a nonprofit and get to chat with cool people. Like, no, nonsense. You know, the days where, and working in construction too, it's physical. It's not like I'm just sitting around on camera talking. You know, I've been framing for 10 hours and then the camera's on me and they're like, now talk coherently and tell us how much you love to tile and now tile, <laughs> you know? And so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot that goes into it. And I've met students now who want to be influencers or, you know, famous and neat, but that is not forever. You know, nothing is permanent, and especially in the entertainment industry. I used to joke that I'm like, someday DIY is going to be over having brunettes and they're just going to get rid of us all and go with like cute blonde ladies. There are not that many brunettes on the network right now. Like, I'm just saying. And so, <laughs> you know, for as weird as that sounds, you can't take anything in the industry for granted. So you have to have a backup plan. Like, what is your actual skill? If nothing else, learn to weigh tables. But then also go learn some plumbing and how to weld. Like, you'll feed yourself for life. I, I'm just amazed at how much information you downloaded and applied and understood, you know, especially in this, this time that you moved back east, um, you know, and then coming back to Colorado. So when you started your own company, you know, what was that like it, before, you know, the TV show, before Studfinder? you know, were, did you start a general contracting company, a subcontracting company? And, you know, how was the complexity of starting your own company and now build your own name, reputation, job leads, business development, you know, all the fun stuff that goes with starting a company? That was stressful. That was definitely, you know, 
having though, one of my jobs was running the TV show. So I was aware of logistics and kind of management styles. Um, and I had actually had another company in my teens um, doing probation work. My biography is going to be weird. I was also going to marry <laughs> Optimus Prime at Putt-Putt Golf. So, you know, it's all over the place. Um, but that was stressful. But how I went about it was um, I came back and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to do construction full time. You know, having been in the industry where it was so many hours, like, is that really it? And so I waited tables and then also started to tell people, like, look, I'm going to do this. I have my license. If you have work you want done around your house, let me know. And so it was a perfect organic way to kind of get my foot in the door and start to build an organic based reputation. Um, you know, it was never my desire to go into having like a crew of 50 people again and managing that. I wanted smaller scale stuff. And really, I, it was always kind of finding the balance on the the size of the project, but also I love building furniture. I really enjoy it. And so by doing it that way, it gave me the flexibility to make dining room tables and chairs and, you know, cool cabinets for friends. And then, I mean, really, that's kind of how, how it started. Very organic and slow, which is something else. I'm very conscious of building a good foundation, not only in construction, but business-wise. You know, you don't want to overextend yourself and say like, oh, yeah, I can frame this $10 million property by myself in a week. I got it. Like, no, you're going to burn your bridge. And every, like, word of mouth is so powerful. And so... That's why also when I had the show, I kept like, we have to pull permits. We aren't going to do crummy work just because we're on a faster timeline now. Yeah, exactly. So now looking, you know, especially with that experience and the TV show, where, where does it stand today? Are you still involved with your company? Are you still building that? Um, or are you involved heavily in the foundation and a public speaking and, and an advocate for the trades? Um, half and half, because again, I get bored. I just can't sit around the house. Like I'll lose my mind. And so I still do construction work. Um, I work with an awesome crew up in the mountains of Colorado, and we work on bonkers projects that it's one of those things I don't want to get rusty either. And I feel like you rust, you rust. And so for me, I love wearing bags. I like having, it's a weird, like when I put on my banded earplugs and my safety glasses, like it's a, <laughs> it's a comfort zone. I just feel very safe and knowledgeable wearing my construction stuff. And so, um, yeah, I still do projects. I still build a lot. And now I think I probably build more because, you know, I was on the road traveling so aggressively that now I, I get to touch my dishes. Like I get to go to the garage and build. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'll never stop. Like why I'd get bored. So, and I like making money. So why not? Yeah. Who doesn't, right? <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. And for someone like you that enjoys being busy and, and have, you know, uh, opportunities that challenge you, that, that push you, that allow the education. And then of course, you know, the, the reach, I'm sure, you know, as you sit down each night, you know, being able to make an impact, especially on the younger generation to help them because, you know, so many have struggled, especially in this time I've seen that what, what I do love, for example, here in Arizona, where I'm at, there's East Valley Institute of Technology and it's, it's essentially a trade school. So a vocational school. So these, these students that are junior and seniors in high school, they can go to EVIT, and they can actually, if they want to go into cosmetology, right? They want to learn hair extensions and makeup and, you know, how to dye and bleach hair, right? They, they can do that. And they, they take their junior, senior year, then they come out of high school already working. They don't have to go to beauty school. They, they have an architecture program, right? They have a contractor program. And so they have, they have a, a culinary school. And what I love about, so one of my employees, his daughter now runs a sports club. She's like the manager of her own. My daughter's in the, you know, the EVIT. 
my oldest daughter and she's doing, you know, the cosmetology because she's really into hair extensions and bleaching hair. And then my second oldest daughter just applied. So next year when she's a junior, she's going into the architecture and construction program. You know, that's what she wants to do. And so uh, not that I've pushed her, you know, I think it's pretty cool because I didn't know she had an interest in doing construction like me and being in architecture. But, but I, you know, this is something that, you know, you, I, everybody, we need to continue to push these. And as these schools have these programs, I mean, there's so much opportunities for these kids just outside of the normal four-year degree. Giant so, and I'm so jealous. If I could go back, you know, there was that Drew Barrymore movie called Never Been Kissed where she like dresses up and goes to high school. And sometimes I, I like want to dress up and go back to high school and call it like never been taught the trades because I'm jealous. These classes, these students get to take. And not only that, but the technology is off the charts. I want a 3D printer. I want CNC machines. What? You know, and so um, we have to continue as the industry to support it and a few different ways to do that. One, um, you know, wherever your business is located at, check out your local school. See if they have a program already. And then see if you can assist the teacher. Maybe you, that means you come in for a day and give an interview and talk about your job. Maybe that means you bring all the counselors and teachers and students onto your job site and show them what's happening. This is such a benefit too, because oh, how many times have I seen this partnership happen and now companies are hiring students out of the classes that they went to visit? Like you have to find them earlier and that's just the way to do it. But giving the support, you know, and even some of these smaller programs, they need just your leftover scrap from the job sites because they have no lumber budget to even practice how to nail in things. And so, you know, maybe it's donating supplies, but your time and knowledge is the most valuable thing right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm really shocked when I see a company bring counselors, school counselors out of the job sites. The ripple effect from that is so powerful because then they actually see, I mean, I've been in some of these construction buildings that, first of all, are the coolest things ever. There's like slides on the inside and just beautiful things. And, mm -hmm. you know, once people, adults, the gatekeepers, start to see what the offices look like for the companies that we work for, it's that aha moment. Like, oh, you know, yeah, there's a job site trailer and it isn't always the nicest, but sometimes the corporate buildings are the bee's knees and then also seeing all the jobs that need to be filled to help our industry. It's just not, again, on a job site with the tool bags. So um, yeah, volunteer your time, knowledge, maybe supplies, and then encourage other folks. Like I'm so excited that your daughters are taking advantage of this program. I mean, cosmetology, that is hard. Uh, the television yeah. show once made me glue on my own eyelashes. I'm not big into fashion <laughs> and I didn't know eyelashes have a direction. Tell your daughter this. And so I glued them on backwards <laughs> and I looked like an insane Muppet. Like I had no idea, you know? And so it's a gift, anything. If you work with your hands, it's a skill we need. Well, I love that you shared that because it's funny. I mean, just the cosmetology side, I mean, daughter, my oldest daughter comes home and tells me about just the, you know, the science behind, you know, the hair color to dyeing it and, and the chemicals used. And it's very technical, right? There's a lot to the process than just, hey, you come in and, you know, you dye your hair. There's a lot more to it, especially depending on the genetics and hairstyle and hair complexity, right, of each individual. But what I, what I love is one thing I love most about the podcast and I tell people about is that the, these guests come on, right? Like Kayleen, you came on today and, you know, every guest I bring on, they, they say things that either inspire me or they direct me to change, right? Whether they give me some advice on, you know, company culture or cost plus or, or just the, you know, the minute details of running a successful business. But as you mentioned, where you say, hey, look, here's three things you can do. And where that's impactful is I, you know, I'm looking at this, okay, 
a lot of us say we're passionate about the trades, you know, but how do we keep that craft alive? How are we helping young people? And yes, now, now you've inspired me. I need to go to the high school, especially where my daughter's at, and talk to Evid and say, hey, come out. We have this amazing project not too far from the high school. You know, these clients are doing this 25,000 square foot house with all these amenities and, you know, all these little details. And to bring these kids to see a half a million dollars of structural steel that's going to be exposed to the client and the whole roof that sits on glass, 360 degree glass. I mean, these are things that excite them, right? And they're going to have, you know, a fireman pole going three stories down and all these different little fun things. And that's where to, to build and do this. I mean, this is a super exciting. I'm jealous. I want to come out and take a tour of this property. Like, what? Yes. You know, because had we is- had connected when you're in Phoenix, I would have given you a tour because this is a house you need to see. So next time you're in Phoenix, Caitlin, let me know. I'm going to bring you by. We're we're going to be working on this for another year and a half. So yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Just it is sometimes just that aha moment when students see and like, wow, that's cool. I want to do that. You know, whether it's designing, purchasing the product, installing it. I mean, you will you will inspire a bunch of kids if you bring them out to that house. I have no doubt. Yeah, well, I'm excited about that. And and Kayleen, I mean, to, you know, for the listeners to understand a little bit more about you, I mean, even outside of, you know, the TV production in the past and your company now and public speaking, everything you're doing and, and your foundation, you know, what do you do for fun? I mean, you have to have some time for leisure. Oh, tons. All right. So I, I build furniture just because I'm obsessive and I like to tinker. Sometimes I just make sawdust. But right now I'm obsessed with these things called metal puzzles. Um, and so I'm creating a Mandalorian character. And if they come in a sheet of metal... Ah, and then you fold it and you make things. So that's a nerd alert. But I, um, oh gosh, I cross stitch, I sew, I bake, I garden. I don't know. I tinker on my cars, everything. I'm constantly occupied with something, but it cracks me up because yeah, that's culinary. That's automotive. Like I'm just in the trades in life. You know, I like to off road a lot and I break my Jeep often. So amen. I get a little bit of <laughs> automotive knowledge. Like you're not supposed to catch air every time, but whatever. I'm an aggressive off roader, I guess. Well, you're in a good part of the country to do that. So that's incredible. And you know, so for those listening, you know, what do you have upcoming and, and exciting for us to follow along with? Gosh. So you can check out all the projects I'm up to at KayleenMcCabe.com. But in addition to continuing to teach students, so if you're interested in having me in your classroom to teach your students, I'm also doing a webinar for parents where I'm connecting parents to industry leaders and businesses. And so it's a webinar called Next Steps. And you can find that at nextsteps.org or also my website. Um, and so helping parents out. And then, gosh, continuing to travel and goof off. I'll, my next big trip is going to be Vision, uh, the Vision Conference for ACTE, which is the Association of Career and Technical Educators. So for all of you business owners out there who want to connect with a teacher who is teaching in the industry, ACTE, Arizona, or also um, in Arizona, there's another group called AVOCA, A-V-O-C-A, of vocational educators, I think. Um, They're fantastic too. Um, So getting to chat and inspire folks. But the Vision Conference will be in um, New Orleans in December, and I'm very excited to hang out with a bunch of teachers in New Orleans. It'll be bonkers. <laughs> well, well, it's good. You have the energy for it. And so, Kayleen, I can't thank you enough. You've been an amazing guest today and shared so much insightful knowledge. So thank you for making time. Absolutely. Brad, thanks so much for having me on. And I hope you have a terrific rest of your afternoon. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, 
They're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.